Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You are listening to the Thoughts from a Page podcast. My name is Cindy Burnett, and I love to talk about books with anyone and everyone. While listening to my podcast, you will hear author interviews, behind-the-scenes conversations about other aspects of the publishing world, theme discussions with other book lovers, and more. For more book recommendations, check out my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Thoughts From A Page. In 2022, I would love to have you join my Patreon group. I really appreciate the support, and it allows me to continue operating this podcast. I offer at least three bonus episodes a month. There is a Facebook group where we all chat books, and we are currently reading two advanced copies of books and chatting with those authors pre-publication. Thanks to those who already participate, and I hope you will consider joining us. Today, I am chatting with Elena Armas about the Spanish love deception. Elena is a Spanish writer, a self-confessed hopeless romantic, and a proud book hoarder. After years of devouring happily ever afters and talking, okay, fine, yelling nonstop about them, She has finally taken the leap and decided to create some of her own. I hope you enjoy our conversation. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, Elena. How are you today? Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well, and I cannot wait to talk about your book because you have such an interesting publication story, and I can't wait to hear all about it. And you've already won the Goodreads Choice debut novel of 2021 before your book is even published by Atria, which is partly what we'll talk about in a little bit, your publication process. But that is just amazing. Congratulations. Thanks so much. It's been honestly a dream. And also a roller coaster full of emotions. <laughs> um, but I'm very, very happy. Thank you. So, why don't we start out with you telling me a little bit about the Spanish Love Deception for those that won't have read it yet? Sure. So, the Spanish Love Deception follows Catalina, who is a young Spanish woman that lives and works in New York City in an engineering consulting company. And she agrees to fake date her work nemesis, Aaron Blackford, and bring him to Spain to her sister's wedding because she has no date and quite a lot of pressure to go with somebody. So that's the short, you know, description of the, what happens in the book. Um, but then you have lots of um, rom-com scenes, lots of fun, lots of wedding shenanigans a lot of forced proximity and yeah, everything that you could look for in a rom-com, I think this book can deliver. I agree with that completely. 
And one of the questions I had for you was how you decided to write the book. Well, that's a, that's a long and funny, not, not funny, but that's definitely a long story. And it's, I never decided on writing the book. It just, the idea came to me and I thought it would be fun trying to write it, but I had never written before. I had like flirted with the idea of writing something, but never really finished um, a full manuscript or anything. So I had no experience with that. And I was a big, big romance reader. So I thought, well, I can give it a try. I wrote like a first chapter. It wasn't super good. <laughs> In retrospect, it wasn't. And and after it was after months um, of writing that first chapter and, you know, parking that idea aside that I decided to give it a go and try to see if I could actually finish that manuscript. And the rest is kind of history. Well, the rest is what I'm very excited to hear about because you have a very interesting publishing journey. So can you walk me through that? Sure. So um, when I wrote The Spanish Love Deception, I did in my free time, in my evenings, my weekends, I did more for fun than to actually write it for a purpose, like publishing it. But then one of my very good friends, who's a published author, a self-published author, I was talking to her one day and I said, well, I kind of like wrote a book. It's not, well, it, it wasn't finished by then. I had started, I had like about half of the story, more or less. And she said, oh my God, you should send that to me and I, I could have a look and we could like talk about it if that's something that you want to, that you want to do. And she did, and she encouraged me to finish. She advised, she mentored me a little bit. And then I decided to self-publish because I was happy with the, with the outcome, with the finished product of the book. But when I did self-publish the book, I never, like, I never did it with the idea of starting a new career or starting myself or like of becoming a published author that could do this full-time I just did it just not not even to try my luck I did it as to see what happens and to say hey I wrote a book and I self-published it and I'm very happy with it so that's how that's how it came to be um, in a very simplified version of everything so you self-published and what happened after that what I forgot to ask you about before we dove in is you have large social media platforms correct you have a big following on Instagram and maybe on TikTok as well? Yes. So that's like, that's the other <laughs> aspect of these that I always seem to forget. So before publishing the book, I was a romance blogger. I mostly, I mostly published uh, reviews on uh, like a website, a blog, and then also on Instagram. I was a bookstagrammer with quite a large, I mean, yeah, it was large, a large following. I was very happy with what I was doing because I love reading and being able to talk about it and having people trust in your thoughts and your opinions. That was that was really great. So yeah, so before I published, I did have a large following on Instagram and also a, a book blog. And then I never started TikTok until after I published, actually, because I'm a millennial and <laughs> I, I thought I wasn't up to the, you know, for the task. <laughs> I feel that way about TikTok. So I totally get it. I am not a millennial. I'm older than that, but I don't feel like I am up to the task either. 
Yeah, I, I'm still, I'm no good at it. I barely paused in there. I'm mostly, I'm like the, you know, the silent viewer or the, the silent user. user. I just scroll down and spend hours on, on the platform without actually creating content. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying to be a little better on it. So you self-published. The book took off. In fact, you have a lot of TikTok fans. I understand that Aaron Blackford is very popular on TikTok. So what happened after that? He is very popular, yep. Yeah, my readers seem to be very vocal about Aaron Blackford, something that I never expected. But yeah, so it was about five months, I think, after I self-published that the book started blowing up because there's no other word for it, I feel like started blowing up on TikTok and everybody kind of started talking about it. I to be completely honest, I was already I was already very happy with the welcome that people had given my book. I was that was already more than I ever expected. So before it blew up and I was very surprised with the sales I was having for being really a debut author and I don't want to say I was someone that didn't know what they were doing because I knew some things, but still you're so new to everything that you feel most of the time like you don't know what you're doing. But regardless of that, I was very happy with how the book was doing. But then TikTok came into the scene and, or, or the picture and everything did blow up and all these people started doing videos about the book and of course Aaron Blackford and then I started really getting a lot of attention from literary agents and book uh, publishing houses and a lot of attention in general also I was only selling on Amazon and the book made it to like top 50 and it was all like it all happened in a very short period of time and it was all very intense in that little, like in that short span of time too. So yeah, so that's what happened. <laughs> I just love that story. I think it's wonderful. I just love when things like that happen. So you picked an agent from those that were soliciting you and then they sold the book to Atria. And what happened after that? Did Atria edit it at all? That was one of the questions I had since you already had the book out there. Did they pretty much take your story and just publish it? Did they make some changes? Do you have a new cover? Those are things I was very curious about. Um, so after Atria picked it up, they did actually pick it up together with, it's not the sequel, but it's like the companion novel in the same world, if you can call it like that. Which will be out in September, correct? Correct. Yes. So that's um, the American Roommate Experiment. And when Atria showed interest in Spanish Love Deception, they also were interested in the American Roommate Experiment. And I thought it was like, it was kind of perfect. Well, I actually thought it was perfect. <laughs> I'm sure you did. <laughs> that they were interested in this second book that I had, I had just drafted. Because during this whole time, I was also working full time besides besides writing. So it's not like I had the time to actually tell Atria, hey, I have this second book. Do you want to publish it? I had like the idea and a very rough draft of it, but they were interested in it. And I was obviously beyond excited to have both books be published with them. And their idea for the Spanish Love Deception was, so the cover would stay the same. The cover is, it is the same besides a couple of details. And then they obviously edited 
and they copy line edited and they we checked together and so there were no major changes that were done to the story it was mostly just cleaning up a little bit so whoever you know read the book before it was published with Atria they will not find any like major big difference in the book after it's published with Atria except for the fact that it has been edited again so in my eyes is better obviously because the more you edit something the you know the less mistakes and the more clean it's gonna be so that was perfect and um, I was very happy with that that makes sense and I figured that's what happened I was just sort of curious because it's a little bit different than what happens usually and then my other question for you is what happens to the book that you were self-publishing on Amazon after Atria buys it do you pull that down now the sales that happened obviously happened but do you leave that version up there does it come down and now the e version will be the atria version what does that look like for you yeah so those are terms that are usually even if i'm not i'm not an expert by any means on the topic but those are terms that you not negotiate but that you agree with the publishing house so in my case i sold the publishing rights both for ebook and also physical books so paperbacks to them so the moment i do that in the territories that were agreed on the contract then the book has to come out from amazon so for instance when i first self published the book was on kindle unlimited um, because I thought it was just, I, I think Kindle Unlimited is a great way to reach a lot of people without a lot of effort or without, not effort, but without marketing tools, which you necessarily like, you, you maybe you don't have them. So having the book on Kindle Unlimited when you're self published, I feel like it helps a lot to reach new readers that might give you a chance, even if they don't know you. So I had it on Kindle Unlimited. It came out of Kindle Unlimited when Atria picked it up. And then, yeah, of course, they have the rights to it in the States and Canada. On Amazon, it's coming through Atria now versus self-published in those territories. Yes, yes. So on Amazon, you're able to purchase the Atria edition in Amazon.com or Amazon Canada. and then. I also sold the rights to Simon & Schuster UK. So in the UK and the Commonwealth countries, you're able to purchase their edition instead of the self-published one. That's so interesting to me. There's just so many paths these days. <laughs> yes, there are. It's, it's amazing. You already have over 150,000 ratings on Goodreads, which is just mind-boggling in any case, regardless of the fact that you started self-published, and just now you're publishing your book with Atria. So that is just so amazing. And then on top of that, your book was selected as the Goodreads Choice Debut Novel of 2021. That is so impressive. And you must have just been beside yourself so excited. I was. I was, I was so excited. It's, it's even hard to put into words how excited I was. To me, Goodreads has been the platform as a reader and also as a blogger because before I was a writer that was the site I would use to check reviews to write my own reviews to even before buying a book I would never buy it without first checking 
you know, who the people I trust and uh, or the bloggers that I know have similar tastes, what they would say about that book. And I know that's not the norm for everybody or even like a minority. I know I'm special there. <laughs> I do that too. Oh, yeah. That, I'm relieved to hear that. <laughs> so I usually go on and check and see what people have to say read the reviews of the people I'm connected with or people that I know I read similarly to, and then I buy it. Yeah, yeah. I'm relieved because most of the people that I know buy books based on the synopsis or the cover. And they go to bookshops and come back with a haul of books without actually, you know, without just like picking them up and checking what they are about. And if they liked it, they, they, they take it home. And that's something I, I could not do. Maybe I have control issues. Um, or planning issues, I have no idea. But yeah, so to me, Goodreads was a big part of my life as a reader and a blogger. And I would even anticipate the Goodreads Choice Awards. And I love to vote for my favorites. And I love to see um, like the most voted books and everything. So that time of the year for me as a reader was exciting. So to see my book and to see my name there as a nominee was, it was an out of this world experience and something I never ever even imagined because that's something I wasn't considering it could be real, you know, when I published. It wasn't even on your radar screen. Yeah, it was not on my radar. It, I, that took me by surprise 100%. Now, this is a question I've never thought to ask an author. When you're nominated for a Goodreads award, do you hear from Goodreads about it? Or do you find out when everybody starts talking about the awards being up and you go and look at the page? You do get an email from Goodreads at some point after the nominees are out. It's a, I mean, I don't exactly remember because that day was very intense, but you get like a generic email from Goodreads saying, congratulations, your, your book has been nominated for whatever category. And then congratulations, you've made it to the quarterfinals and congratulations, you've made it to the next round kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And then congratulations, your book is a winner. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to let you say that part because yeah. that's the really exciting part. <laughs> I didn't want to take that away from you. <laughs> well, again, congratulations. That is just wonderful. And just really, I mean, a self-published book, getting all the way to that point is pretty impressive. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> so let's talk about Erin Blackford. I know from reading the book myself how much I liked Aaron, and then I saw that TikTok users have been calling him their book boyfriend. He's clearly resonating with people. Did you have an inspiration for him? Like, where did he come from? I did not have any particular inspiration for Aaron. That's a really hard question to answer because I, I never thought that... To be 100% honest, and maybe I shouldn't say this, but when I was writing Iron Blackford, I kept thinking, the things that leave this man's mouth, they are not real. They are a little over the top, you know, but at the same time, I, I, I'm a really big, I, I go really big on, on cheesy things, and I love cheesy scenes, and, and, and I say cheesy in the best possible way. I don't think that's like a negative thing to say about a romance book. I do love when a character goes out of their way to show their love in a very communicative and open way like Aaron does. Um, so for me, when I say cheesy and over the top, I mean it in the best way possible. And 
I kept thinking about that when I was writing Aaron, but I just went with my gut and I said, I mean, what do I have to lose? I'm just going to make him as perfect as I can. And that's what I, that's what I tried. Uh, there was no inspiration from real life, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're like, I wish I knew him in real life. <laughs> I wish. I'm constantly asked, hey, where can I find my own Aaron Blackford? And I never have an answer for that. <laughs> You're like, I wish I did. <laughs> yeah, I wish. Well, that's really fun that so many people feel like he is the perfect book boyfriend. It is. It is. It's, I mean, his character is something, it's, it's one of the things I'm most proud of. I really, <laughs> I really love him and I love how much, how much everyone seems to also love him. That's, that's one of the, that, that, that's one big compliment there. I think it must be so rewarding when you create a character and you hear from readers how much they love that character or how much that character is resonating with them. Yeah, is yeah, you know you're right. It's very rewarding. Also, because I'm coming from being on the other side and I I know the feeling of reading a book and falling in love with the love interest at the same time as the protagonist, and I love that feeling. So Knowing that uh, that this book is doing that to people, is having this effect, is just, I mean, <laughs> there's nothing like this. Is 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 honestly, it makes it it makes all the tough parts and all the hard parts about this. It it makes it worthwhile. Well, one of the things I was wondering was because you were such a big romance reader and reviewer, how did that factor into your writing? Well, I think the most so the main influence that me being a reader and a reviewer had in me becoming a writer is that I I know what I like as a reader and I know what works with me and you know what they say write the book that you would love to read so I just do that after reading so much and having you know good and positive experiences with new things and also negative or not disappointing disappointing but underwhelming experiences with other things that I that were new and didn't like I really I I really knew what to do with with certain things about the book like with certain tropes or with certain scenes because I just I just went with what I knew I would like as a reader so do you have a favorite romance trope Oh, that is a question I feared you would ask me. <laughs> I don't know. Funny enough, funny enough. And I used to call it my kryptonite. Kryptonite? I don't know how to pronounce that. Sorry. You my got it right. Yep. My kryptonite. I do have a big thing for the for the broken hero, you know, like that man, like the love interest that seems to believe is unlovable and broken and I don't know if there's a name for that trope it's a very specific thing as as you can see I'm very specific with the things that I like but yeah broken not a bad boy but like a broken hero that you kind of need to figure out and to peel off the layers and to get to the bottom of where where is all this coming from that that's something that if i get a hint that a book is about that then i'm 100% going in for it but then that's not what you wrote that is no that is not <laughs> what i wrote maybe one day <laughs> well i was going to ask you what you're working on that's what i usually ask next you already have another book that will be coming out in september is it ready to go i'm assuming at this point 
It's almost ready. We are working a little on the clock here. It should ha- it should be ready uh, by now in publishing standards, but it's not quite yet. We are working really hard. Atria is doing a very good job on on putting this out as soon as possible so everybody <laughs> can enjoy the American Roommate experiment. So yeah, so it is not exactly ready yet, but it will be very, very, very soon. And then are you working on something else as well, or are you just busy getting that one ready? I'm busy getting that one ready. I'm also starting to think about what I will write next. I have, I'm pretty much, like I have a clear, not a not an exactly clear, but I'm starting to get an idea of what I'm what I might be possibly writing after this. It will not be in the same universe as the American roommate experiment and the Spanish love deception. It will be something brand new. Maybe with a hero that thinks he's unworthy. I don't know. Maybe, (laughs) maybe. And if not that, maybe it's just, you know, uh, a good old enemies to lovers. (laughs) Well, because you are the romance reader expert, I cannot wait to hear what you have read recently that you recommend. Well, my first recommendation is Love on the Brain by Ali Hazelwood. That book is coming out in August this year. And if you guys love the love hypothesis, then you're going to adore this. It's just so much fun. This book is going to keep you, you know, on the edge of your seat and laughing and also swooning. And I really loved it. So you guys should keep that one on your radar. And then I'm also very excited for the world to read um, Hook, Line, and Sinker by Tessa Bailey, which is, I think, coming out soon, maybe March. And it's a friend's lovers, and it is amazing. I love Tessa Bailey. I love all her books. And this one really hit for some reason more than... More than the others. I mean, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to play favorites, but this one really, really, really stood out for me. And I'm very excited for everyone to read it. Great. Well, those sound like two wonderful recommendations. My daughter loved The Love Hypothesis. So I need to make sure I have that other one, the Allie Hazelwood one on her radar. Oh, she will love it. It's also, um, it also follows like the two protagonists are also in STEM. So uh, and the jokes are the jokes are so nerdy and so funny. It's just it's just really it's so much fun that book. I think your daughter will love it too. She's in STEM, and I think that's probably why she liked it so much. So that's yeah. a great recommendation. Thank you. Well, Elena, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on the Thoughts from a Page podcast, and I can't wait for those that haven't read the Spanish Love Deception yet to read it. Thank you for having me. And it was it was great. I had a lot of fun talking to you and I hope you will have me back maybe someday. Hopefully for September. Yeah, I'm in. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you liked this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From A Page, Consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content, 
tell all of your friends about the podcast, and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. The book discussed today can be purchased at the Conversations from a Page bookshop storefront, and the link is in the show notes. I hope you'll tune in next time. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) Right.